Numbers 14, verses 1 through 25. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. But then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were both among those who had explored the land, and they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting for all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you a nation greater and stronger than they. But then Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it, about it. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be, declared, be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving in sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, Forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from time to time and from when they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs are performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to you all. My mother is in attendance this morning. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. 
to all you ladies, you women. So grateful for you. I echo all of Mark's comments. And uh, we have before us a passage that at first glance is not a particularly uh, wonderful Mother's Day passage. Um, but what we are going to talk about today is, is the faithful prayers of Moses. And if we've been following the story carefully, we've noticed that there, uh, it's a consistent theme. Moses is regularly interceding for Israel, standing in the gap for them. And on multiple occasions, God threatens something, and Moses intercedes in prayer for the people, and God doesn't do with the thing that he threatened to do. And so today, I want to talk about prayer, and specifically intercession bringing one another to the throne of grace, calling out to God on behalf of each other. And that is a, is a theme that fits perfectly with Mother's Day, I think. And, and you moms in particular, there's something so beautiful about your prayers for your children. And I think, um, I mean, obviously, fathers' prayers for their children are, are amazing as well. But there's the heart of a mom uh, for her kids and just the way that that heart cries out to God on behalf of her children is a really amazing, beautiful, precious, and powerful thing. I have no doubt that many of us are products of the faithful prayers of our moms. Okay, I'm sure some of us survived our teenage years due only to the faithful prayers of our moms, right? Some of us were wandering from the faith, and God found us, and we came back, and part of that, whether we knew it or not, was due to the faithful consistent prayers of our moms. Some of us found the spouses we found, the vocations we found, all, the, all these things that happen in our lives in part because of these faithful, consistent prayers of our moms. And so I want to look at, at intercession and prayer today. And um, what a beautiful thing it is, what a privilege it is, what a mystery it is, and how complicated it is too. We see all of that, I think, in this passage. So let's look at prayer to, together today through this prayer of Moses. A little context. Um, chapter 13, what happened was this is when that famous scene where Moses sends out the 12 spies, right, to go into the promised land. And uh, they come back and they all say it's an amazing place. Uh, but two of them say it's amazing and we can take it. The Lord's with us. We should go. This is our land. We can inherit it. And the other 10 say, no way. There's giants. There's big people in the land. There's fortified cities. There's no way we can do this. Uh, and the ten prevail over the two in terms of how Israel feels about this. And so you have this passage where Israel is complaining like they have so many times now. It's, it's a broken record at this point, I think. And um, at the beginning of this chapter, you really have um, hundreds of thousands of people versus four people. <laughs> it's, it's unfair, but you have, you, know, you have Moses and Aaron. Look at verse 5. Moses and Aaron hear the complaints, and they just fall face down in front of the whole assembly. I mean, they're just, it's such an interesting response. They're just so like, oh, people, do not do this. They fall face down. And then you have Joshua and Caleb, the other two, and they tear their clothes, right? Guys, this is not the way we're supposed to respond. And they're calling out to the people, uh, but the people are stubborn. And uh, the people respond in verse 10 by talking about stoning them, okay? So that's where we are. And um, what we're going to do is just narrow in on, I think, this fascinating conversation between God and Moses. And again, this is not the first time a conversation like this has happened, um, but I wanted to save it for today. Uh, it begins in verse 11, and God makes this proposal. Let me read it again. Take a look at verse 11 to Moses. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a great nation, greater and stronger than they. 
Okay, this is the same proposal he offered at Mount Sinai when the people worshipped the golden calf. And God's basically saying, I promised to Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars. I will never, you know, renege on that promise. But guess what? You're a descendant of Abraham, Moses. I'll just start with you. We'll do kind of a flood, right? We'll do, it. We'll do a, a Noah kind of thing. We'll just wipe them out, start with your family, and start over again. Okay, that's, that's the proposal. And then we have this dialogue where the way it reads is Moses basically kind of talks God off the ledge of what he's proposing to do, right? And that's how the story reads. And so I just want to, want to look at this today and uh, consider this as this beautiful picture of faithful intercession that we are all invited into, okay? And before we look at Moses' response, um, I just want to acknowledge, um, I'll just call it the, the mystery <laughs> of a story like this. Um, and, and my goal today is not to solve the mystery for us, but to kind of help us enter into this mystery a little bit, okay? And there's a mystery to who our God is, at least for me, in this passage. And here's what I mean, like, um, Hebrew narrative, when you read Hebrew narrative, really Genesis through most of the narratives of the Old Testament, God is, is presented very much as one of the characters within the story who is experiencing things in real time the way all characters in a story experience them, right? He, he gets angry. Um, he gets sad. He regrets things he's done. He proposes alternative options for what he might do, okay? He, he experiences things like a character in the story, like all characters do. There's other scriptures in, in the Bible, though, where God is presented quite differently than that. Um, not so much as a character in the story, but as like the author of the story, right? The guy who's above it all, who's transcendent beyond it all, and he's the one who's actually writing the story, right? Sovereign, in control, knows the end from the beginning. And, and there's a mystery, and I just want to say, Scripture invites us to hold both of these pictures of God, a God who is raw, a God uh, who is passionately involved in his creation, but also a God who is transcendent and above it all. And we see both pictures consistently in Scripture. And to me, there's a bit of a mystery in how God can be all of these things, but he's clearly presented that way. And I think prayer, in particular, throws us right into the heart of that mystery, right? Because we know two things about God in Scripture. One is, as I just said, God is clearly sovereign above all things. Right? Let me just give you two verses. Ephesians 1.11, classic. You've been predestined according to, here's the phrase, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. <laughs> okay, pretty clear. He's working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Uh, psalm 139, famous psalm. David says this, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Okay, that is a sovereign God who is writing the story before it takes place. And yet scripture equally says that our God is a God who hears and responds to the prayers of his people. I could give you a million verses. Here's two of them. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, right? Or maybe more famously, James 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, okay? God is sovereign, and God hears and answers prayers. The way I put that together, this isn't going to solve the mystery, is to say that God has sovereignly determined that the prayers of his people are the very things that move him to do the things that are according to his plan, okay? Such that had we not prayed it, it would have happened differently. <laughs> and yet God is sovereign in and through all of that. And again, my goal is not to solve that mystery, 
But just to acknowledge it, because it feels so clear in this passage, we have to acknowledge that. And, and for me, that mystery, I think what Scripture would call us to, is not so much a, just an object of abstract contemplation, but God's like, I want you to dive into this mystery with me in prayer. I want you to jump headlong into the, the dark mystery that is my will and my desire to hear your prayers. And you do that not through, through sort of an abstract contemplation, but through active engagement with me in prayer, such that the clear biblical call is always this. Whatever you feel about that, the answer is pray. <laughs> pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's a lot of alls by my count, right? This is what we do with this mystery. We jump into a life of prayer and we discover this relationship with God as, as Moses did in his relationship with God. I, I love the story. Let me just tell you briefly the, the story um, of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was um, a 19th century English preacher. The guy was amazing. And here was a guy who beautifully held together the sovereignty of God and the power of prayer. Okay, this guy, was a, he preached the sovereignty of God all the time. Many of you have read his writings. You know this. But let me just read you a little bit about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English preacher, was known as the Prince of Preachers. It is not an exaggeration to say that thousands came to Christ through his preaching. Okay, powerful preacher. A group of young ministers came one day to visit his church. After showing them the massive sanctuary, there were like 5,000 people that would show up on a Sunday, Spurgeon offered to show them his boiler room. They not interested because boiler rooms were not pleasant places to visit. This is underneath the church, right? They were hot and dirty, usually located down in the basement. In Spurgeon's time, steam was the power source of the day. Boiler rooms were the powerhouses, the driving forces of everything. Spurgeon led the young ministers down to the basement where they found about 100 people in prayer in the basement. This, Spurgeon said with a smile, is my boiler room. Whenever Spurgeon was asked the secret of his ministry, he always replied, my people pray for me. And I love that image of a man who, who preached the sovereignty of God all the time. And underneath his church was the powerhouse, the boiler room of what made his ministry so powerful, which was just the faithful intercessions of ordinary people. And God heard those cries and, and blessed this ministry in a great way. And that is the way I think we're supposed to enter into this ministry. All right, so let's, let's look at um, Moses. And I just want to watch him in action today. I just have two, two ideas about intercession, okay? Simple. One is uh, intercession is just simply a bold leaning into the, the purposes and the character of God, okay? And then second, intercession is also just a simple act of love for the people we care about, okay? So let's look at these together. Um, first, this idea that what is intercession is this bold leaning into the purposes and character of God. So let's look at Moses. I love Moses' response, and notice what Moses appeals to in this, okay? So God is, verse uh, 11 through 12, he said, I'm threatening to wipe them out. And look at Moses has two appeals to God. And I want you to compare these to what appeals you make to God when you pray, okay? First appeal, verse 13. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it, right? 
By, uh, by your power, you brought these people out from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it, right, the promised land. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say the Lord was not able to bring these people out into the promised land, okay? What is he appealing to? He's appealing to the reputation of God in the world. He's appealing to uh, God's good name in the world. saying, God, you do this, and the nations of the promise, and they'll realize, oh, I guess Yahweh was incompetent. I guess he wasn't able to carry them all the way from Egypt into the promised land. And this is the exact same appeal that, that Moses makes back in Exodus 32 when the people worship the golden calf. And God threatens the same thing, and Moses intercedes. And there he says, the Egyptians will hear about this, and they'll say, it was with evil intent that God brought them out into the wilderness just to slaughter them. There he's saying, God, you'll look like you're unloving, you're malicious. Here he's saying, you'll look incompetent, and you're not powerful. Right? Either way, if you do, you do this, what you're threatening to do, you'll look either incompetent or you'll look unloving. Your reputation is at stake, Lord. So for the sake of your name, do not do this thing that you're threatening to do. And what I love about this is Moses is, is leaning into the very purposes of God that God revealed to Moses. And if we've been following this story carefully, we know way back in the beginning, right, when they were still in Egypt, God came to Moses and he said, I want you to go to the Israelites and I want you to tell them I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to bring you out. And then the ultimate purpose of that is this, then you will know, remember that, that I am the Lord. I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, I'm going to strike your land with mighty deeds. I'm going to do war against the gods of Egypt. And then you will know that I am the Lord. My purpose in all of this is that everyone would know that I am the Lord. The full force of who I am would be experienced. He says, I'm doing this so that my name might be praised in all the earth. These are all things that God himself has said. And so Moses is, is just leaning into the very heart of God's purposes. And he's saying, God, you do the thing you're threatening, and that story ends. Your reputation is on the line. You will not be praised. Your name will not be seen as great if you do this. So for the sake of your own reputation in the world, your great name, relent from what you're proposing to do. Okay? That's the first appeal. God's own reputation and name. And then let's look at the second appeal. Verse 17, now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Verse 19, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The second appeal is not to God's reputation, it is to God's own character, Right? To the very character that God had revealed to Moses. Again, golden calf scene, right? Moses intervenes, God relents, and then Moses says, show me your glory, God. And we looked at that passage. And God revealed his glory, and he, pron he pronounced his character over Moses. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so Moses is now appealing to the character that God revealed himself. He says, this is the kind of God you are, God. You're forgiving, you're gracious, you're loving. Act like it, okay? <laughs> Forgive these people according to the kind of God that you are. 
This is Moses' appeal to God in intercession for the people. God's own reputation in the world and God's own character. Notice he doesn't appeal to anything in himself. He doesn't appeal to anything in the people of Israel, right? Gosh, God, um, they're not so bad, <laughs> right? God, give, give me one more shot. I can whip them into spiritual shape, right? Uh, we can do this better next time. God, they're, uh, compared to the other nations, all, all the appeals that we might make to God in intercession, none of that. God, my only appeal is your name and your character. He boldly leans into the very heart and purposes of God in intercession. And I think, what a great example for us. And I think really that, it is a beautiful picture. It's simple, but that's really the essence of intercession. What we do is we take God's desire to be praised in the world, and we take the character of God as we know it, right? And then we take circumstances in the lives around us that seem out of sorts with those two things, right? We've got a friend who's, who's going through cancer. Uh, we have a friend who's whose marriage is on the rocks. We've got a kid who's experiencing depression or a kid who's, who's going sideways. We've, we've um, got any number of things, right? Any number of circumstances. And we take these circumstances and we take the character and the reputation of God and we go, God, there's a massive delta between these two things, right? This is what the Psalms do all the time. So what am I going to do this? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take both of these and I'm going to lean in boldly and say, God, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your own character, would you please act in my friend's life, in my family's life, in a way that brings glory. If you heal this person, that will bring glory to your name, right? God, this son is going wayward to start, but forgive them, because that's the kind of God you are, right? Heal this marriage. Imagine if this marriage comes back together, that what that will testify to who you are and what your character is as a God of reconciliation. That's what intercession's all about. We, we lean in boldly. We hold, this is what I wrote. It feels funny to say it this way. We hold God's feet to the fire. That's bold intercession. This is who you say you are. This is what you say you do. So, Lord, would you please act in accordance with your own character and your own word. I, I learned a new word this week. I'm going to put it up here. It's the word importunity. I mean, know that word? I was, this is in my commentary. The word means persistence, especially to the point of annoyance. <laughs> and Jesus regularly invites us, commands us to pray with importunity. Parable after parable, pray with importunity, right? We take God's character and his ways. We take these circumstances that feel inconsistent, and we lean into this mystery with God and say, God, you've got to act. For my friend, for my spouse, for my kid, for my mom, whoever it is. I love the story of, of Jacob uh, and his relationship with God, which is really complicated. But there's this great scene where Jacob one night ends up wrestling with God, right? The, the, God shows up in human form. And all night long, they're engaged in a wrestling match, a tumbling wrestling match. Okay? And this is, Jacob's whole life has been a wrestle with God, in, in, in essence. But, but, the, but God at one point just kind of touches Jacob's side, and he basically dislocates his hip. And, and Jacob realizes he's dealing with a divine person. And he says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. 
And the angel of the Lord blesses him, gives him a new name, Israel. And, and the day emerges and, and Jacob walks out. Now, Israel, walking with a limp, but having been blessed by God. And it's such a, for me, that whole story is such a beautiful picture of what intercession is all about. We go to God with importunity. We wrestle with him and we say, I'm not leaving this until you bless me. <laughs> and we will come out of that kind of prayerful life, limping oftentimes, right? There's, there's a hurt, there's wounding, but also experiencing intimacy with God and experiencing the blessing of God. Obviously, the blessing isn't always the thing that we asked for, but this is what we're invited into. And Moses prays multiple times with importunity, and he prevails with God more than one time, right? Verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them. He responds to Moses' prayer. I have forgiven them. And then he also, there's, last, there's consequences. And the consequences are, as they often are, are just perfect justice. He says, this generation will stay in the desert. That's what they wanted. They didn't want to go to the promised land. They can have what they wanted. That's their consequence. They will remain in the desert. But this is the heart of intercession wrestling with importunity, bringing God's own name and character and saying, God, act. This is what we do. So that's, that's sort of the, um, maybe the theological side of this. But I wanted to end with the other side of, of interceding for one another that, that really kind of caught me off guard this week and really struck me. And it's just to think of intercession, intercession, uh, intercession as um, just a simple act of love for the people we care about. And, and this is what hit me, is just how loving Moses' prayers were for Israel throughout their story, okay? I mean, Moses' prayers spared the people's lives multiple times. And I, I was thinking, when I think of Moses, Moses the prayer is not high on my list of what comes to mind, right? I think of Moses the leader, uh, Moses the lawgiver, Moses the prophet, Moses the miracle worker, but it occurred to me this week that his role as prayer was one of the most significant roles he played for Israel. S hugely impactful for them. And his prayers were just acts of love and, and care for them. And that's what just struck me. Like when we intercede for somebody, that is an, that is an act of love. To, to go before God, to, to bring a friend in our minds, right, before the throne of grace another person who's not us, and to cry out to God, to appeal to God on their behalf is a really, really loving thing to do. It's a, it's a simple and profound act of love. And, you know, sometimes when, when someone's going through a crisis, I think oftentimes we think, well, prayer's the least I can do, right? I mean, that's kind of like the sentiment, that's the sentiment I have, like, Prayer is the least I can do. There, you know, there's, there's probably something more tangible, more sacrificial that I could be doing than prayer. You, you kind of feel obligated, I'll pray for you, but that's like the least I can do, right? But I was thinking about this story this week and, and what prayer actually is, and it occurred to me, you know what, sometimes actually prayer is the most we can do. <laughs> like prayer is the most important thing that we can do for one another. And just think about Moses. Moses could have encountered this moment where the people are, are whining and, and, you know, and, and then you've got God threatening. And what he could have said is, well, 
prayer's the least I could do. I've got to do something practical. I've got to do something tangible, right? And so I've got to I've got to engage these people and somehow change their minds or get them to shape up or do something differently than they're doing. That would have made a lot of sense. Instead, he goes straight to God. And in that conversation with God, he does more for them than he could have ever done if he had pursued some sort of practical, tangible way of helping them. And I was just thinking, look, sometimes prayer is the most we can do. I mean, if we believe in a God who, who has every resource available in the universe to help us and loves to hear the prayers of his people, then sometimes going to him on behalf of one another is actually the very most we can do. We can do more in that prayer than we could ever do by trying to you know, engage ourselves. And of course, we need to do both. But it just struck me, what an act of love to, to, to Go to the one who holds all things and to appeal on another's behalf. Sometimes that's the very most, the most productive thing we can do for one another. And it's such a selfless thing to do. And that's the other thing that that struck me about it as an act of love. And again, sometimes prayer feels like a cop-out, right? Like, well, at least I'll pray for you know, but like I'm not going to do the hard work of actually being with them or doing these things. But but there's something about intercession that is remarkably selfless. And I'm talking about when you're not actually praying with them; they're not with you, because your prayers for for others is something they'll never see, right? They don't see you doing that. They they don't experience you doing that. And so it's unlike other forms of help where we actually get to watch them appreciate the help we're offering, right? I I write a note. And, and my friend says, thank you for the note. I come over and I, I serve a meal. And there's, there's, there's that beautiful appreciation they have, but they don't ever see my prayers. There's no kickback. <laughs> there's no like, okay, I, I help them and they know I help them. In that sense, it's, it's an entirely selfless moment. And I was thinking, I've just been in, I'm, I'm kind of in the, uh, I've been confessing a lot lately, so I'm well, getting things off my chest to you guys. <laughs> Um, intercession is really hard for me. And what I realize, what I mean by that is when someone's going through a hard time, sustaining intercession over time, I'm really bad at that. And um, I think it's because it has nothing to do with me. And I'm very self-centered, as you're all coming to know. But I thought other forms of prayer are easy. Adoration, confession, God at Thanksgiving, supplication for myself, all of that comes pretty naturally, but like continuing to, to wrestle with God on another's behalf is, I'm not good at it. And I think it's because it's such a, <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. And, um, and that's what makes it beautiful. When nobody's watching, when, when they'll never see this, to as a simple act of love for a friend, for a relative, to, to go before the throne of grace and to call and cry out and to wrestle with God on their behalf. What a, what a beautiful thing that is. And we talk a lot about this in, in recent months, but we, we just we want to be a community that more and more is, is a family of prayer where we, as Scripture says, we, we bear one another's burdens. And the context of that phrase is prayer, praying for one another. We uh, regularly ask one another for prayer. We regularly pray on behalf of one another. Uh, we have formal ways to do that. We have our, you know, our, our Wednesday morning, 7 a.m. Zoom every week 
There's about 16 of us these days, about 15 of us that, that pray every, every Wednesday. We intercede for you all, for our state, for our nation, for the world, for each other. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you ever want to do that, you can find it online. Obviously, we have in the context of our service, we have our prayer team that right after I stop preaching, um, we open up those doors. We have someone over here. And they're just available to bear your burdens and to intercede for you or to intercede with you on someone else's behalf. So we have all those formal ways to do that. But more than that, we just want to be a people that we're just a praying family, right? That's, that's what we want, to be more and more. We've got a lot of room to grow, and there's beauty in that. And let me just, I just want to end by addressing you moms and um, just affirm you as Mark did, um, but affirm the reality that God hears your faithful prayers for your children over the years, even if they aren't answered in the ways that you hope. And I, I thought, you know, um, I love those videos. They remind us that as a mom, sometimes all you have is prayer, right? There, there are moments where you realize, oh, I have no control over what my child is about to do or what they're going through or the decisions they're making. And, and sometimes all we have <laughs> is prayer. And, and that's, not a, that's not a bad thing. And I also want to encourage you to keep praying and remind you that sometimes all your kids have is your prayers for them. Right? Because sometimes our kids aren't interested in God. They're, they're not looking to reconcile to God. They're not looking to make wise choices. There's nothing within them that they've got that's going for them spiritually. And sometimes all they've got going for them spiritually is our prayers. And I want to leave you with, this is a random uh, verse, um, but this is from um, I've Lost Control, which is what prayer is all about. Um, give me the final, the final verse in my slide. This is the end of Job, and it's so fascinating. So Job, you all know the story of Job, and most of you do. Job goes through this horrible time, right? He's got these buddies who step in and, and try to help, and they end up making things worse. And, and the way the thing resolves is God shows up. And he says, no, Job has spoken well. You guys have not. But this is what he says to them. Um, is there a verse right before that? Is there a slide that's, yeah. The Lord said to Eliphaz, this is one of, the, one of the friends, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. Next slide. And here it is. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. Whew. Right? Wow. I love Job. I'm going to listen to Job's prayer for you, and I will forgive you on behalf of Job's prayer. And sometimes as parents, all our kids have is our prayers because they're not praying. But we have a God who may say, because of your prayers, I'm going to answer the, the prayers of mom for the kid and respond in a beautiful way. Let's pray. Well, Father, once again, we, we just lift up all the women in this room right now and just pray your, your blessing, your comfort, your encouragement, your joy, uh, your companionship with them on Mother's Day and much beyond this day, on their roles and all that they do for us. Lord, would you make us a praying church? 
would you make us people who lean into this crazy mystery with you and just pray all the time? Would you make us people who recognize that control was always an illusion and that you can help? And so make us people who just, for whom prayer becomes as natural as breathing, not just for ourselves, but for one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.